0: What's going on everybody what is going on welcome in to the bell ringer podcast hosted by sixers wire of usa today's sports media group i'm your host the editor of the sixers wire site kai carlin now normally i would say i got my guy Cameron Fields, with me but yo cam moved on to a different job so i'm like i'm like searching for new co-hosts uh week in and week out last week i hopped on with justin quinn of celtics wire we talked to al horford sister anna horford uh, to preview the Sixers-Celtics series. Today, I have my guy Nick Fryer, who covers not only the Brooklyn Nets for us for Nets Wire, but he also covers the Boston Celtics up there uh, for WEI in Boston. So, Nick, what's going on, man? I wonder how Anna
1: Horford's feeling right now after her brother scored, what was it, a combined 10 points in the first two games? Do I have that math right?
0: Yes, he has scored a combined 10 points hmm. so far through these first two games, And uh, the Sixers are paying him $109 million. Meanwhile, Tobias Harris, another guy getting $180 million, is averaging 14 points uh, in this series and shooting the ball poorly. The Sixers are in a world of trouble, guys. The Philadelphia 76ers are down 0-2 in this 2020 NBA playoff series to the Boston Celtics. And really, it's beginning to look like like this might be a sweep, guys. It might be a sweep. I mean, without Ben Simmons and and nobody out there to really defend Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Nick, Jason Tatum in this series is looking like a guy who could win an MVP in the future.
1: Yeah, definitely, Kai. I mean, the, the big thing for me is, is is approach. I mean, especially with him approach at the rim. I feel like he's always got some level of confidence when he's shooting his three ball, whether it's on or it's off. But there are a lot of times early in the season, I think it was a nationwide discussion, or at least around the NBA, where Jason Tatum was struggling around the rim. And it seemed like he was always just foul hunting. That was it. Not, not in the James Harden capacity. No one does it like him. But it was of that ilk, and now it's like he's just—he's going to score, and he knows he's going to get contact on the way, and he's absorbing it better and working through it. And I think that's been the biggest evolution for him. And then he just—if once he can do that, then it opens up his three-point shot, and defenders are having a tougher time guarding him. I mean, there was a, p- a specific play in Game Two, and I, it was later on—I think it was in the third quarter—where there were like three Sixers around him, and somehow he just split the defense and had an, an easy look at the rim uncontested. And, and I mean, that's. Uh, that's Jason Tatum doing well, but that's also the 76ers. You know, it's just like a, it's a small summary of what's going wrong with them right now. They just can't figure it out in any capacity, it seems like.
0: What really bothers me the most of these first two games, Nick, is. Really Philadelphia's defense, like like from my perspective, because during the regular season, the Sixers actually allowed the least three pointers per game. I think they only allowed 10 per game. I think that was the number that I saw. And Boston hit 19 in game two. I'm not sure of the number in game one. But it just really seems that like Boston is just getting whatever they want. There's no intensity from the Sixers outside of like maybe Matisse Thybulle and Josh Richardson. I think those two have been really terrific on the defensive end. But, Mm -hmm. I I mean, if you – like, I went back and watched game two, actually. I don't know why I did that to myself. But I went went back and rewatched game two. And there were a couple things that kind of stood out to me, Nick. And I thought, one, Matisse and Josh did really, really well in getting a hand up in Boston's face. They just made some shots. But, secondly, Joel Embiid needs to be up on the ball more in terms Mm -hmm. of the pick and roll. He's got no business being in the paint. When Tatum, Brown, and Walker could just walk into jump shots. That
1: yeah, is- I mean, there was there was a couple with Kemba Walker. I remember we just even just seeing on the highlights that there were two or three mid range shots, and he's Kemba's a good mid range shooter. And Joel Embiid got him off the pick and roll, and he just let him take it. I mean, I, I guess that's the better option of the two in the grand scheme of things, that or a layup. But it's like Embiid's almost not even trying. And when we, we had Juan five out, we talked a little bit about how Embiid's effort is always a concern. And on defense, I mean, yeah, Ty, Tybell's he is. He's definitely putting in the effort. I think he's just overmatched right now. and That's not to say he's always going to be overmatched against Jason Tatum or some of those elite guys, elite offensive players in the league. He's just young. It's A lot's being thrown at him, and I think he's doing at least the, the best that he can at, the, at this juncture. But, I mean, with, when it comes to him and it comes to Josh Richardson, I mean, in the perimeter defense, not having Ben Simmons is huge, obviously. Um, I don't think that he would necessarily – Shut down Tatum, but obviously size, experience, there's an advantage with him versus Theibel, Um, But, yeah, I mean, the Celtics just have a lot of perimeter shooters, too. I mean, Daniel Tights is going to pull up. I mean, that's – as much as he was apprehensive in Game 2, which is a little bit, I think, um, not alarming for Celtics fans, but I think it's something they should be a little concerned about because why is he hesitating, especially when Joel Embiid's not – you know, he's kind of just not respecting him. Just let him take it. Right. I think – I think they but they have him. Even without Hayward, you still have Tatum Brown, who's come a long way as a three-point shooter, and Kemba Walker, who's looking a lot more like his – Charlotte self or pre all-star break self when he obviously aggravated his knee and everything. I think that's been a big problem for you guys too is Kemba's looking like Kemba and Jalen Brown has grown so much and Tatum has too. But I mean, those three guys they're I, I know the the whole thing about having a big three and everything, and it might be aggressive to say that they are an actual big three, but it's starting to look like it more and more with Jalen Brown taking a step forward.
0: Right. And Philadelphia doesn't have that right now. And- right. The only way the Sixers can really have a shot at winning this series and getting themselves back into it is on the defensive end because they're not going to outscore the Celtics. They don't have the guys to match up with Tatum, Brown, and Walker. Literally, it's Joel Embiid and, and everybody else. Embiid right. in this series is averaging 30 and 13 through two games. So, like, those are very good numbers. The thing is, though, you're looking at Tobias Harris, and he's putting in 14. 14 points for a guy you paid $180 million to. Inefficiently, too. Yeah, he's doing it in a poor way. He shot four for 15 in game two. I, I forget the number in game one, but game two, he, he couldn't hit the side of a barn. Then you have the Al Horford issue. And, and again, I want to pay my respects to, to Anna because she was a terrific, terrific guest, and she made terrific points. But Al is not fitting in with this team. And through two games – He's got a grand total of 10 points. He had four points and two rebounds in game two. I'm going to repeat that. Four points and two rebounds in game two. And it's going to come down to the fact, Nick, that Philadelphia is much bigger than Boston. Much bigger. At some point, Horford and Joel Embiid need to just – actually, I'm not even going to include Embiid because Embiid has been terrific in this series so far – But Horford and Tobias Harris are going to be two guys who need to use their size and get inside the paint and contribute to this team offensively. Because it can't just be Joel. Not against a Boston team that has the big three that you just mentioned. You need more from Josh Richardson and everybody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the thing with Horford, too, that I think is most mind-boggling, I don't have his game one stats up in front of me, but I I know last game he went two of three from the floor. So in game one, I actually just found it. He went... Three of seven. So not bad shooting, but he's not shooting enough. And and on the offensive end, this was a point of frustration, I think, for a lot of Celtics fans. I know when it came to our station on talk radio and everything, that was something that bugged guys. It's You're paying him this much money, and he's not shooting enough. Why is he being apprehensive? I, and, and there's value in Horford not being reliant on scoring in order to feel like he's succeeding because he can obviously help defensively. I think he's taking a little bit of a step back, but I wonder if it's age or if it's fit or if it's a little bit of both. But on the offensive end, where he can help stretch the floor a little bit, where he can score a little bit from inside too, he's, he's versatile. And obviously, he's not going to go. He's not, if he is your top scorer on your team night in and night out, you're not going to win many ballgames because that's just not... What Al Horford does. But in times where you need someone to step forward, especially as a veteran, this is where Al Horford needs to make an adjustment. It needs to, I mean, this is the kind of stuff where his sister would get frustrated in Boston. But what are you waiting for, Al? We have a high opinion of you, and I think Philly fans at least used to have a high opinion of him. And I know as, as writers, we do too, because he obviously is a talented player. He's not getting that money for no reason. But right. this is where it gets frustrating with Al Horford, and he just doesn't do what you would think he can do and, and lift elevate this team a little bit where at least they're not getting blown out by the Celtics um, in game two.
0: Yeah, and, and that was a point I was just about to make. Even without Ben Simmons, Nick, the Sixers shouldn't be getting blown out. Like, like, right. like, like, that's my thing. Like, The Sixers should not be getting blown out by a Boston team that was missing Gordon Hayward too. That's another one. Gordon Hayward mm-hmm. didn't even play in game two. Right. And that's a guy who averaged almost 18 points a night for the Celtics. And, mm-hmm. you know... Boston just completely blew them out, and I think that's just – it's so inexcusable. And that is where I kind of look at Brett Brown, and I'm like, Brett, how did you not have this team ready? Now, Brett did say that Boston's shot-making deflated them. I get it. That makes sense, especially from a human standpoint. It makes sense, but it's also not an excuse in the NBA playoffs when you're you can't go down 0-2. two you're also you also don't have the luxury of going back to the wells fargo center and banking on that to get them get yourself back in the series you don't have the fans right now you're in this bubble and you have to continue to try to find ways to stop these guys without you know the energy the, the fans and the crowd and everything else that comes with it and to be honest with you, Nick, it's looking at the point where the Celtics legitimately might sweep the Sixers here in round one.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we were talking about it uh, after game two on five out. I, do we adjust our expectations? Cause we thought with Gordon Hayward going down, okay, maybe this means, you know, I had it as, as five games from the jump, right. but where Ty had it as four games. Now it's like, should we, should we adjust our expectations because Gordon Hayward's out? Maybe it's going to go to six games as much as the Celtics are still the favorite and should still win the series. But now, without Gordon Hayward, and they go and demolish the Sixers like they did. It just took the. It was the first quarter, and the Sixers came out strong, right? Okay, and then boom! As soon as this, as soon as Jason Tatum finds his stride, as soon as Jalen Brown gets it going too, they they have no answer for it. And where Brett Brown's coming up with the whole, that you know the shot making deflated them. Okay, I understand that, but isn't it your job? And isn't it you know, kind of Joel and Beads and Job, and then I would say probably Tobias Harris, now Horford, to get everybody else kind of out of that funk where we're not yeah. seeing Tyble. He's not getting deflated by; it. he's still working hard on defense. I mean, again, Tatum's smoking him, but I think it's just because he's so much younger, and Tatum has grown so much. And exactly. then Josh Richardson is not going to stop either. That guy's go go all the time. So I mean, to me, I, I know going into this is like, well, Brett Brown, you, you're you're at a you're in a tough position because you don't have Ben Simmons, but. Where I think Philly fans have wanted his job for a while, right? Am I correct in that? Okay, so they've wanted his job for a while. Then you see this where they can't even be competitive beyond the first quarter, and then he's coming up with, "Oh, the guys were deflated by their shot making." I mean, I don't. I mean, I would think he's got to be concerned for his job right now, especially when that's coming out of his mouth.
0: Yeah, I think you have to. And honestly, and and at practice today, Brett said that the Sixers don't have a kick a chair. Throw a towel, flip a desk type guy in the locker room. And that, 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 that was <laughs> <the most. laughs> okay.
1: So it's not that's not in Jake Milton's uh, whole Brett Bowen build up, makeup or everything.
0: Nope, nope, uh, not, not not at all. He okay. said, he said, and I quote: "We don't have a guy who is a kick a chair, spin a towel, um, you know, flip a desk type of guy, and and, that, and that's spin okay." That, he said, "That's okay. That's fine." It, it, but it's it's like it's like. I don't think that's fine. You need a guy who's going to, you know, get in there, get in guys' face and demand more out of his teammates. And you know who was like that, Nick? Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, yeah. Jimmy Butler, absolutely. See, you know, I
1: think I think there's a lot of value in a guy like that. And generally speaking, I would rather have a guy like that on my team, a guy who's going to yell at everybody and get them going and stuff. But at the same time, there's something about – this is like just athletes. Now I don't think it's exclusive to basketball where sometimes those guys don't necessarily resonate. And if you don't have a guy like that on your team there, I think there is another option. Now you need to have that leader, that quiet leader who's confident throughout is going to continue to not only to do well, but to continue to work their ass off. And I know Michael Jordan was kind of, you know, we learned more about it and rewatch or watching, um, Oh, my God. What was the series that they had on ESPN? Last Dance. Uh, La- Last Dance. Thank you. Sorry, brain fart. But <laughs> he, it, it, he wasn't just vocal. He also worked his ass off. So I right. think from Michael, you see, two, you, you see one leader, but there are two types of leaders in that. And if you have that guy that's going to continue to work his ass off and work harder than everybody else, even though he's your best player on the team, then you know, that would be great if Joel Embiid was doing something like that or Al Horford or, or, um, or, or Tobias Harris, where those are your top three guys right now, well, or, or they're supposed to be at least. If you have some, one of them three doing that, then I think that would make at least somewhat of a difference, too, where at least somebody has like a, like a North Star that they can kind of work towards, and this is what we want to be, and he's not giving up even though we just got demolished in the second game we lost the first one, and right. we don't have Ben. But you don't have that either, it seems like, with Philly, so that's another big problem for them.
0: Well, when it comes to their leadership, I mean, Brett said that Joel is a guy who would probably give more example on the floor. Uh, He said Al Horford kind of speaks up in the locker room and he has a story to tell from like his past to compare to this situation. And he said Tobias has been speaking up a bit more about, you know, racial injustice and uh, that they need to be better on defense and and some situations and things like that. But at the same time, it's like when you watch game two, their body language Mm -hmm. said, said that they were defeated.
1: And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. It There is there's talk and then there's doing. The guys who are going to be vocal leaders, in my opinion, if you're a vocal leader, then you got to be that kind of guy who's like, just because he's on the Celtics, he's the first guy that comes to my mind is, is Marcus Smart, where he's a guy who is going to go out and be a dog and fight. Every single time, and he will get in people's faces, and is not afraid to back down from a fight, even though there are times where he probably should. And then, then, and then there are other instances where where you have a guy who's talented like Joel Embiid, it's your top player. You don't necessarily want him doing that, and he and he probably knows that that's not the best move for him most of the time. But then I need him if he's going to be a leader. Your best players, the best way they can lead, in my opinion, is they just continue to work. Like all the bad shit just brushes off them. They don't care. It doesn't affect their body language, and they continue to work their ass off. And you guys. Don't, they don't have that right now. The Sixers don't have that, and that's the biggest problem for them.
0: Yeah, they, they really don't. And, and, and that's what I was sh- trying to allude to. Like, I mean, you don't necessarily need like a drill sergeant who's going to be on, right. on you all the time. But I mean, when things are going down and, and things just aren't good right now, you need somebody to kind of step up and say. And just something. talk.
1: Well, yeah. it's, but it's not just talk. It's also do. Like,
0: you're right. Exactly. It's both. But exactly. But that was Jimmy Butler. Right. Like, 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 like yes,
1: Jimmy Butler. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's what they had in Butler. I mean, remember, nobody works as hard as Jimmy Butler, Nick. Like, right. You know, nobody yeah. works as hard as he does. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, that, Jimmy Butler is also the kind of guy who, as much as he
1: hasn't, you know, won anything, he's, like, he's a guy who's, who works his ass off and he'll get in your face. He's a right. very rare combination, but the Sixers need, clearly need something to that effect.
0: Right. And, you know, just to even speak about Jimmy, he's got Miami of two games to none. On, on the Indiana Pacers right now. And I want right. everybody to know, Jimmy Butler shot 24.4% from the three-point range during the regular season, and he's been drilling threes in the playoffs mm-hmm. so far these first two games because he, he has the confidence and the guts and that leadership to do whatever it takes to make sure it gets the job done. And the Sixers do not have that right now. Right. And then another thing is, like, you really have to turn to Elton Brand a little bit, and you're like, dude – you you paid Tobias Harris 180 million to average 14 a game in the playoffs, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Jimmy's doing what he's doing in Miami. Or yeah, do- I Dude. I think that what we're
1: seeing going on in Miami the the entire season has been huge for. Spolster's stock and I have so much more respect for him than I ever have. I mean, even though the last couple of years where he's made them, you know, at least playoff contenders and everything where you lost everything with LeBron, I got, I had a lot more respect for him at that point, but now what he's done with Jimmy Butler, but the, between the two of them, I think their stock has risen so much. I don't know if you can win with Jimmy Butler being your best guy on your team necessarily. I still think that's tough, especially, yeah. But if he's your number two and he's kind of like your vocal leader and you have a number one who, maybe let's say it's like a Joel Embiid who's a little bit more passive, but he's so physically dominant that he's still going to get his numbers and get what you need for him. And then he and Jimmy still mesh well together then that makes a huge difference but you don't but you don't have that over in Philly so that's that's a huge problem losing losing Jimmy Butler as much as it's between I mean Redick and Butler were just two huge losses and I don't know which one was more impactful I gotta I gotta think right now it's Jimmy Butler at this point
0: yeah me too and I I mean like the Sixers are still a very talented team like I, I need people to understand that because Joel Embiid is still a top 15 borderline top 10 player depending on your preference uh, Ben Simmons is a top 15 player. Obviously, you don't have him. And then Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Josh Richardson are very good players. Richardson's averaging 18 a game in this series. I think Richardson's playing well. Uh, And and, and like I said, Richardson and Thibault on defense have been good enough. It's just Boston has been knocking down some tough shots. I will give give Brett Brown that. But at, at some point, though, somebody has to really step up and not accept getting blown out. And, yeah. and, and I think like that's kind of their issue. So now, Nick, that moves on to game three with, their, with Philadelphia's backs against the wall. Right. They're not going back to Wells Fargo Center. Is there any shot for the Sixers to get back in the series? The only way I, – I,
1: really, I really don't think so, Kai, but I will entertain the, the idea – for, for the sake of your the Sixers fans who listen to this show, the only way I could see that happening is, like you said, if you have one guy who, who says, you know what, screw this. Am I allowed to swear on here? I forget, or no? It, it's, it's hit or miss. Okay, so screw this shit. They keep making shots in our face. Time that we hit them hard one time, and the only guy who I could see doing that at all is not Thibel. It's going to be – it would be Josh Richardson. He's the only guy right. I think that has that kind of energy to do something like that and back it up. Um so, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, it's going to take – the. Uh, I still think that's a big ask for him considering his yeah, – yeah, I, I think it would be tough. But something like that where it rallies the guys around something and it's like, we're not going to take this shit more. We're not going to just lay down and let them walk all over us.
0: That's the right. only way. That's the only way. It's the only, I agree with you. It's really the only way. At some point, somebody has to step up and say enough is enough. And but without Ben, that's tough too because then it's like, what are we absolutely. doing it for? Right. Right, without Ben, it's it's just like just oh, this was this was such a bad matchup for them without Ben. I've always said this. I've always said if Ben was playing, I would pick the Sixers to win. I know just, just, just because I feel like Ben makes that much of an elite difference out on the perimeter. Once Ben went out, I was like, oh God, who's guarding all these guys? You mm-hmm. can't just rely on a rookie. Uh, and Josh Richardson, very good player, and then Shake Milton too. Like here, here's my thing with Shake Milton. Shake Milton is a is a I, is a guy who I think Nick can be a rotational player in this league. I think he can be a starter in this league. The big thing is he's in his second season. Right. He's 23. Right. He was the 56th pick in the draft last year. Right. As as much as Shake Milton is helping this team from the perimeter with his shooting, mm-hmm. you cannot count on him to defend these guys on the Celtics. Like I think there was one play in game two where Kemba Walker just shook him out of his shook him out of his shoes.
1: Yeah, it's tough. And the other thing, I th- in fairness, I mean, if we're like if we're gonna talk about like this, some of the things the Sixers are doing wrong too, the Celtics, on top of shot making, their screen setting has been outstanding in this series too. That's and I think one. That's, that's been a huge problem. That, that goes back to the Embiid stuff too. But I think that's created a problem for for Milton and everybody else along the way.
0: It, it definitely helped on Thybul for Boston because, mm-hmm. like in Game One, Matisse held Jason Tatum to two for nine shooting. Now in game two, obviously a different story. Tatum cooked him, but that's just because Jason Tatum is just that good. That that right. like I don't think that was anything that really had to do with Thibault. But what Boston really did really well that you just mentioned, they screened Thibault and there was a couple times where Horford was switched on to him or Joel. And, yeah. and 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 it's like, I mean, really? Al against Jason Tatum at this point of his career. Like right, not on, anymore. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. And I'm I'm looking at it, man, and honestly, it's like. I don't see how they win game three. I just don't. I, th- yeah,
1: I'm telling you that this, that, that's like the, the thing I'm talking about that like spark is is asking a lot. That's like if you – I'm just – that's my thing. If Sixers fans want anything to – any reason to watch, any reason to have hope, that's my, that's the only way I see it. But even right. then, I still don't know if that's enough. I think the, the way Tatum – because the thing is too now, Kai, where, where Tatum had become – Pre-hiatus, Tatum had evolved into the guy on the team because it had been Kemba before, and then out of necessity, Tatum needed to become that a little bit sooner because Kemba was not dealing with the knee issues. Right. Since the since the bubble started, Jalen Brown has been was the best player for the Celtics going into the postseason. Over those eight games, he was lights out. Even in games where he wasn't shooting his best, he was still making shots in important moments. So, I mean, now – and he's still kind of carried that over. And then Tatum has picked up where he where – he, he's back to where he was for the most part. And then Kemba looks great too, and he's playing in those crucial minutes where he wasn't during, um, during the seeding games. So you have all that going on we're to the point where you don't necessarily need Hayward to beat the Sixers and still put up the, the offense that they have. And, and Marcus Smart hasn't been shooting well either, and he was a guy who pre, pre-hiatus was shooting pretty well from three. So those three guys have been enough. And on top of that – Cantor, and this is, this is another thing with Brett Brown where he needs to really look himself in the mirror. Last game, game two, Cantor was doing well against Embiid defensively, where he's forcing him to take mid-range jumpers. And don't get me wrong, have. Embiid was making them. But and, and that's also on Embiid a little bit too. But we see, I think it was midway through the second quarter, they started running pick and rolls. And that's where, they, you, know, that's where you get into problems with Ennis Cantor defensively for the, if you're the Celtics. And and then we saw the Sixers start to score. Where was that adjustment sooner? How do you not know right away, oh, Ennis Cantor's in the game? Time to do picks. Like It doesn't matter if Embiid's not rolling. It's a problem. It, that was bad on, on Brown's part.
0: Yeah, that's a huge criticism that Brett has really taken not just this year, but pretty much his entire head coaching time in Philadelphia. He doesn't make those adjustments in game. He yeah. didn't do it in twenty eighteen against Boston. He he struggled with it last year against Toronto in the semifinals. He's doing it right now against Boston. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Nick? Game two of last night kind of reminded me of Game two of twenty eighteen. Do you remember in twenty eighteen the Sixers got off to a really good start in Game two, mm-hmm. and then Brad Stevens made an adjustment. Right. And Boston came back and ended up winning, I think, by double digits. It's like it's – it's the same thing. And, and that's why and, – and that's why, like, I really think that this is probably it for Brett, whether they, whether they win a game in this series or not. Like, because there's no way they win this series with, without Simmons and mm-hmm. with that effort they showed in game two. The Sixers look dead in the water. I'm just going to put yeah. it out there. They look absolutely dead in the water, yep. which then turns to Brett. But Brett's also not helping himself – when you play Howell Meadow for nine minutes in the second quarter, mm-hmm. before it, it, going to Alec Burks,
1: yeah, it's look. I understand when we uh, when you were on five out you know, leading up to the series, as we talked about the roster building and how there are some definite issues with that. Um, trying to build it t- too much like um like a aughts, um, NBA franchise instead of, you know, 2010s, 2020 NBA team or late 2010s, 2020 NBA team. There's definitely issues with that. But when you talk about engagement and talk about guys putting effort forward and not like, you know, giving up to me, that's on Brett Brown, a thousand percent. And it's not just, and it's not just like, it's not just where he's, like yeah, of course he's not getting the whole team going, but that tells me there's a disconnect with him and his top dogs because ideally he's he's able to get the top guys going, still so keep them engaged. Who then there's a trickle down effect where either they're talking to them or they're setting the right example for their teammates, and that's not happening. So yes, it, it to me. It's a bad reflection on Embiid, I think, it, how this series has gone. It's a bad reflection on Horford. Tobias Harris has not done well either. But Brett Brown is number one problem for me if I'm, from a Philly perspective um,
0: with how this series has gone so far. 100%. And, and just go to go back to the Howell Neto thing, and honestly, I <laughs> listen. I think Neto has played well in the bubble. But against the Boston Celtics, you play Neto for three minutes tops. <laughs> yeah. You know him, there's no way – how Neto should be playing 15 minutes in this series at all. There was right. zero excuse for that. And it's, it's not because Neto is a bad player. It's because it's a bad matchup. Right. Alec Burks had 18 points in game one, and he played 27 minutes. Granted, he had a lot of turnovers. He contributed to the Sixers turnover issues in game one. He wasn't getting clean passes into uh, Joel Embiid. He was being a little careless with the ball. I get it but to punish him by going to Howell Meadow in mm. game two of a playoff series that you really can't lose. You right. couldn't lose game two because, again, you're not going back to Wells Fargo Center. You're, nope. not, you're not. You're not heading back there. You're, you know, with the crowds and the booing and everything else in between and bullying works. No. You are staying inside this bubble, my guy. You're done. Yep. I, and, 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 you know, as I mentioned on when I hopped on five out with you guys, it just really seemed that there's a disconnect in terms of communication. And, right. and that was why I thought that they struggled so much on, uh, on the road. And when you're in this bubble, all you have is each other. All you have is communication. You need to talk on defense and on offense, everything else in between. And the Sixers have continuously preached that like, they're great on chemistry and everything. But I don't see it.
1: I don't see it either with this because that – when we when going into the bubble, it looked like it was going to be Sixers-Celtics. We knew this, this whole you – know, you and I doing the, the bell ringer and everything was inevitable because it just seemed like that was what was going to happen. Lo and behold, it was. And going in, I was like, well, the Celtics uh, look good and they may be built for the bubble in terms of their personnel. But when it comes to the Sixers, you know, at the time, Ben Simmons was healthy. I'm thinking mm, they don't, they're not going to have to go on the road at all. So that could be a good thing because maybe it's more, they have an issue of being somewhere else and having to deal with the other fans, which again, to me, I don't like, that's just, it's still kind of weak, but I get it. It happens in the NBA a ton, right. you know? So it's like, is it, so is there issue being on the road more or they just feel more comfortable at home? Cause it can be kind of two separate things. And, and now we're finding out, like you said, it's it's chemistry. It's got to be. It's a, it's an internal issue, not what's the external forces when you go on the road. And that's I mean, that's for a team that's like looked like they could compete for a title over the last couple of years, and now too, still. Obviously, you know, for regardless of the discounting the whole Simmons issue, I th- that's I feel like that's got to be devastating for the franchise.
0: It is. It's bad. It's bad yeah. because, I mean. Kyle Newbeck from the Philly Voice, I, I, I got to give him credit for this um, analogy and this comparison, but I kind of agree with him. He said the Sixers are approaching Washington Wizards territory.
1: Ooh, like Gilbert Arena's time or like talking about them right now where they got them, rebuilt?
0: Them right now to the point where they have two stars, oh, yep. two stars in Wall yep. and Beal, and they surrounded them with bloated contracts to ordinary yep. players. Yeah, no. So, And in Philadelphia, you've got two stars – and you've surrounded them with yep. bloated contracts from ordinary players who are bad fits. Mm. Uh, again, shout out to Kyle Newbeck from the Philly Voice for that one. But it, it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's bad, Nick. It's bad. And the Sixers right now are just, they are not in a good position. And I mean, Kyle makes a, a hell of a point that they, they are really approaching washington wizard territory because if you think about yeah. it, the wizards the wizards had wall and beale that an okay roster they had all those expectations um you know back in like 2017 and whatnot and they surrounded them with a bloated contract to auto porter a bloated contract to Marching gortat and then, like there were there were a, a couple other yeah yan mihimi is another one like they gave so much money to yan mihimi just for him to do nothing and then in Philly right now, you've got bloated contracts to an ordinary player in Tobias Harris, who I think is a very good player, but he's not an all-star or anything. And then you give a bloated contract to a 34-year-old big man who is good, but he's not the same. So there's a lot of issues going on in Philadelphia. Nick, as, yeah. we, as we end off this podcast, will this be a sweep? Oh,
1: I'm still sticking – I've been sticking to the five games, but after talking to you, man, I feel like, I feel like a sweep is, is almost inevitable.
0: I'm going to say sweep. Um, I'll be I'll be completely shocked if they win either game three, or game four. Okay. Yeah, that's rough. That is rough, man. And this is a guy, for
1: anybody who, who's like pissed at Kai too, because I'm sure some Sixers fans, I don't know actually. I don't know. How, I, Sixers fans, I know that Philly fans are, are unrelenting, but I just, sometimes I'd get a little confused. But you, when, like when we talked mid-season, when you came to Boston and everything and you were on five out, you weren't even remotely phased by the Celtics whatsoever. So this total that. turn, I mean, it's, it's like, this is, this is bad. It's, it's, it's terrible.
0: I, I wasn't phased, and it's because I, Sixers were bigger with Ben, Joel, Al. I thought Al was supposed to make a difference in the playoffs. I thought the Sixers were built for the playoffs. This is all we heard for all Did season that- one. Ever since Christmas Day, I remember it was Christmas Day after they beat the Bucks. Brett said, we're built for the playoffs.
1: That's like almost a kiss of death at this point. Because the I remember with Kyrie, that was the whole thing when he was in Boston too. So it like, doesn't. None of the regular season stuff matters. But then, and this is where he kind of lost me with all his craziness. Then at the end of the season, at the end of the playoffs, when the Bucks bounced them, um, he's like, "Well, this is what they've been doing all season long, and everything. Like, this, is, this is what they've been doing. Well, wait a minute, this is what they've been doing all season long. What, what does that matter? Is it it's the playoffs? It doesn't it doesn't make a difference. So yeah, when anybody, absolutely. whenever, whenever you get a team that's thinking that far ahead in and just postseason stuff." Uh, to me, I think now is whether whether you're a reporter or a fan. To me, it's like, well, oh, they're kind of screwed. That they they they're that checked out. That's that's a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, we didn't just hear it from Brett. We heard it from Al. We heard it from mm. Joe. We heard it from Elton. And Al should know better. He should know better. I mean, I mean, I mean, Al said it right before the bubble when they were still actually here in Philadelphia. You know, training and everything. Well, actually, technically, I guess New Jersey, since their practice facility is in Camden. But mm-hmm. they came out. But Al was like, "We're built for the playoffs. We truly believe that." And that was in early July. And here we are, mid-August, and they're on, and they're on the verge of going down 0-3. So, Nick, tell everybody <laughs> where they can find you at, man. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter
1: at Nick underscore Fryer. You can listen to Five Out. Um, over on uh, radio.com, WI.com, or uh, wherever, you, wherever Kai posts all stuff to, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, all that stuff, too. And, um, of course, you guys, if you, if you care about the Nets, um, I know they're kind of struggling right now, too, but they at least got Kyrie and KD waiting in the wings, and uh, you can read all that stuff on uh, Netswire over at USA Today. Force Media Group.
0: Hey, you know what, Nick? Jimmy Butler ju- just had a quote. And he said, I, he said, well, I was fit with the heat just to end it off. And he said, I get to cuss people out when they're not doing their job.
1: (laughs) Hell man. That's
0: That's That's a bad look for the Sixers. Not a good look. All nope. right, I'm just going to I'm going to end this podcast off by saying Batman sucks. And oh, you We are going you. to wrap it up right here. <laughs> Make sure you guys check us out at SixersWire.com As Nick said, you can check out the Bell Ringer on Apple, Spotify, and everything else, that, everywhere else that you find your podcast at. So, thank you to Nick Fryer. I'm Kai Carlin. We're out. See you guys next time on the Bell Ringer.